Well, it's good to see you all this morning. And all I've got to say to that time of worship was glory. Glory. Leviticus 23 this morning. Leviticus 23. We're also going to be in Leviticus 16 and Hebrews chapter 10 this morning as well. We're going to be looking at the Day of Atonement, the next to last special day of appointment that God incorporated into his people's life. And we're looking at this from an aspect of what does God want to teach us in the New Testament about worship and about our worship of him. Let's remember that in the book of Genesis, mankind fell into sin. In the book of Exodus, God saved his people out of bondage in Egypt. And now in the book of Leviticus, the worship of God is being revived through the message here from God to his people. You look at verse 26 of Leviticus 23. The Lord spoke to Moses, the tenth day of this seventh month is the day of atonement or coverings. It is to be a holy assembly for you, a time when the people of God are to come together and gather together. You must humble yourselves, literally expressing sorrow for sin, and present a gift, a literally a fire offering or a burnt offering to the Lord. You must not do any work on this particular day because it is a day of atonement to make atonement or to offer a covering for yourselves before the Lord God. Why? Because God is a holy God. If, if there's one of these appointment times, if there's one of these festivals, these feasts of the Lord in the Old Testament that really highlights the holiness of God, it is the day of atonement where God has to deal with sin because it's the only way that we as human beings could ever hope to have any kind of fellowship or connection or relationship to God. He is a holy God. In fact, this isn't even a word, but if you know me long enough, you know I make up words. When I think about the holiness of God, I think about the utter otherliness of God. What do I mean by that? I mean that God is unlike anything or anyone else in the universe that he created. There is nothing that even comes close, no one that even comes close to God. That's what it means to be holy. He's a holy God. Utter otherliness. And why that's important is because worship of God thrives on wonder, on awe. And if you and I lose the holiness of God, we begin to lose our fuel and our foundation for worshiping him. In the world, there are few people that have the ability, the skill, to be able to take something very ordinary and make it extraordinary, right? But I, I, I must say that 
One of the sad things is in my Christian life and in being part of the church in general, you know, for most of my life, that we as Christians can do just the opposite with God. We can take the one who is absolutely extraordinary and we can make him very ordinary. Because we try to sort of bring God down to our level. We, we try to reduce him so that somehow he, he can be more on our level. And, and I, I fear that that's why much of our worship, even in the church, is not what it could be or what it should be because we lose our sense of wonder and awe when we just don't let God be holy and be God. He must always be that, even if it blows our minds, even if there's so much about him and about what he says that we can't even begin to understand, that's okay. Focus on the things that you can wrap your mind around from God and from his word and the things that are just too big. Let it go and worship him because of it, because he's a holy God. You also... I want to spend just a moment talking about this idea of atonement. Why atonement? What does it even mean? How, how can I relate to it? How can I understand it? How can I even remember it? Well, if you have a net Bible that we use here at, at the Oasis Church, and even if you don't, I, I'm going to encourage you to do something either in your mind or actually with your pen or pencil. I do it with my pen or pencil as I'm studying it. I want you to look at the word atonement. In fact, again, if you have the Net Bible above the verse 26, it says the Day of Atonement. I want you, if, you're, if you don't mind doing this, I want you to draw a line between the A, or excuse me, between the T and the O in the word atonement. Draw a line, straight line between the T and the O in the word atonement. And then take your pen or pencil, and under the letters A-T, draw a line. And then under the letters O-N-E, draw a line. And in those words, you see what atonement is all about. At one. You see, God made a way for us, human beings who have fallen into sin, to be at one with him again. That's what atonement's all about. So that, again, you and I can live in a relationship, in fellowship, in intimate connection with a holy God. Without atonement, there is no way we would ever be able to live in any kind of, of, of even the same zip code with a holy God. It is only through atonement. Now, we're going to see in the first part of this message the, the, the way that God set up his people being able to atone, if you will, in the Old Testament. But then we're going to contrast that with what we have now on this side of the cross and what Jesus did for us uh, as far as atonement goes. And we're going to see the difference and the greater benefit and profit and blessing that you and I have by living on this side of the cross than the people did living on the other side of the cross. But I want us to know more than anything that all that God did, he did so that he could either live in proximity to his people 
live near them, dwell amongst them, uh, to be, to have them be in his presence, that's what atonement was all about. So that you and I, as sinful human beings, could be at one again with a holy God. In fact, go back, if you will, now to Leviticus chapter 16. I want to just pick out a couple aspects here. There's so much, and there's more than we could cover in even several messages. But I just want to point out a couple of things here. At the very beginning even of this chapter, chapter 16, you have something happening here that reminds us about the holiness of God. Notice in verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of Aaron's two sons when they approached the presence of the Lord and died. Why did they die? Because they tried to approach a holy God, but they did it their way rather than his way. And because of that, they died. It is a reminder that there's only one way to approach a holy God, and that's his way. It's the way that he has made for people to approach. In fact, look at verse 2. The Lord even said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, that he must not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil canopy in front of the atonement plate that is on the Ark of the Covenant so that he may not die, for that's where I will appear. In other words, even the high priest couldn't just waltz in any time he wanted to into the presence of God. He could only come once a year, the Day of Atonement. He had to be dressed a certain way. He had to bring certain offerings. It was all reminding God's people that he is a holy, perfect God. There is nothing or no one like him in the universe that he has created. It is expressing the utter otherliness of God. And you and I, even as God's people, have to be reminded of that. Because again, to me, it is the wonder and awe that we have of our God that fuels our worship and, and continues to help us to grow in our respect and reverence for the God that you and I, even as God's people today, are in contact with. And remembering these verses in just a little bit is going to also remind us of just how blessed we are today compared to the people in the Old Testament day. But the same thing is true even through Christ today. You see, God says, I love the world, and I made a way for anybody anywhere in the world to be able to come to me and have a relationship and fellowship and intimate connection with me. But just like in the Old Testament, you got to do it my way. You can't just come to me any way that you please. You've got to come the way that I made for you to come, which is why even in the New Testament, the Bible says there's only one mediator between God and men, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except what? Except through me. Amen. There is a way that God has provided for anyone and everyone to come, but you got to come God's way. That 
preserves God's holiness. And we live in a day and an age, even amongst the church, where you have these philosophies and false teachings and doctrines that creep in, almost like even Christians get to the point, it's like, I can just come to God any way I want to. I, I, I don't need to respect his way and his holiness. No, absolutely not. God is still holy, and God will always be holy. And there's a way that you and I need to approach the Lord. And the same thing was true then. Well, part of the atonement was obviously sacrifices. And I want you to go over now to verse 15, where one of the sacrifices was a goat. And this goat paid for the penalty of the people's sins. God says he must then slaughter the sin offering goat, which is for the people. Then he brings the blood inside the veil canopy. He is to do with it its blood just as he did to the blood of the bull. He's to sprinkle it on the atonement plate and in front of the atonement plate. And then he is also to make atonement for the holy place where God manifests his presence because he's a holy God. And therefore, even the place where God met with his people needed to be cleansed because he's a holy God meeting with sinful people. So there's an aspect of there was a part of this day where the high priest would offer a sacrifice so that it represented the people's sins being paid for. But there's another goat that was also used in the Day of Atonement Festival, and that is what has been known as the scapegoat. You see this over in verse 22 of chapter 16. Another goat, a second goat, was not used to pay the penalty for people's sin, but to take the sin away. This goat, verse 22 of Leviticus 16, is to bear on itself all their iniquities and to be sent into an inaccessible land, so he is to send the goat away in the wilderness. And this goat, again, unlike the one that was sacrificed for sin, this one now represented, I'm taking your sin, and I'm not only offering a way to cover it, to pay for it, but I'm, I'm sending it away. I'm removing it. I'm taking it away from my people. Now, obviously, all this was done to point us to the one that would embody and, and embrace all of this in himself, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He not only paid the penalty for our sin, but he now has taken our sins away from us. And, and, and he has provided what none of these Old Testament sacrifices could do. And we'll talk more about that in just a little bit. Let me remind you, though, of some verses that many of us know that speak about God taking away the sins of the people. In Psalm 103, verse 12, the Bible says that he has separated our sin and even the guilt of our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. That's how far he has removed not just our sin, but even the guilt of our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. They never meet. Then in Isaiah 43, verse 25, God says, I will blot out your transgressions for my name's sake, 
and your sins I will remember no more. Your sins I will remember no more. God not only pays for our sin, but he removes our sin from us. That's why in Christ, when you and I accept Christ as our Savior, not only do we not have to ever pay for the penalty of our sin because it was paid on the cross and on the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ, but he also, at that moment, broke the power of sin in our lives. And then we live in hope that one day he's not only going to do that, but he's going to literally remove us from the very presence of sin when we are brought before him in glory in heaven and forever we will be with the Lord in the perfect place with no more sin. And then Micah 7, 19. The prophet Micah says, he has literally hurled our sins into the depth of the sea. And then he goes on to say, I have conquered your evil deeds. Conquered them. Overcome them. This is pictured in the Day of Atonement. And it begins to set into our minds, and as it did in their mind, as they looked ahead to, to the Messiah, Christ coming, we look back and, and, and we begin to be reminded of what we have in Jesus Christ. In fact, look at verse 30 of chapter 16. On this day, atonement is made for you to cleanse you from all your sins. You must be clean before the Lord. Because without God giving us the covering that he has prescribed coming his way, you and I have no chance of fellowship or relationship or connection with a holy God. That's why even back in the book of Genesis, after Adam and Eve fell, they tried to, you know, make their own covering and sew these fig leaves on themselves because they knew at that point in the self-realization of sin setting in that they were naked before God and that there was something really off and really wrong that hadn't been off or wrong before then. And God had to come to them and say, you know, I, that, that covering that you made, that's not going to cut it. Why? Because sin is so serious to a holy God that there must be life given to cover it. You see, there must be blood shed and life given in order to cover sin. That's how serious and pervasive sin is. That's why then if you go over to Leviticus chapter 17, look at verse 11, one of the key verses actually in the entire Old Testament. God says in Leviticus 17, 11, for the life of every living thing is in the blood. So I myself have assigned it to you on the altar to make atonement for your lives, for the blood makes atonement by means of the life. Why sacrifice? Why blood sacrifice? Because it was a reminder of not only how holy God is, but how serious sin is. And the only way that one could come into any kind of contact with the holy God was through the offering that he prescribed, a life offering, a blood offering, you see. All of this was done on the day of atonement. Well, take your Bibles now and turn over to the book of Hebrews. 
to Hebrews chapter 10. Because we could spend a lot of time talking more about the Day of Atonement, but I want to bring it over and translate this festival of, of atonement and the Day of Atonement over to us today and look at it more from looking back to Jesus than looking ahead to Jesus, since that's where you and I live. In fact, before we even get to Hebrews 10, I was just reminded, start with me in Hebrews 9, a couple places. In Hebrews 9, look at verse 11. But now Christ has come as the high priest of the good things to come. I love that. And then look down at verse 26. It says, for then he would have had to suffer again and again since the foundation of the world. But now... He, Jesus, has appeared once for all at the consummation of the ages to put away sin by his sacrifice. Why? Look at now chapter 10, verse 1. For the law possesses a shadow of the good things to come, but not the reality itself, and is therefore completely unable by the same sacrifices offered continually year after year to perfect those who come to worship. I want us to just contemplate and consider for just a moment what's going on here, what went on in history, and how it affects you and I, and how blessed we are every day to be living on this side of the cross compared to those that lived on the other side of the cross. Let's be reminded of a few things here. Up until Jesus, I was was prescribed by God, the only way you could come was that only, only the high priest of God could enter the Holy of Holies and really come into the presence of God. Only the high priest. Think about that. One person, one person literally could come into the presence of God. Now, after Christ, every Christian Everyone who's been born again, everyone who's saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, now every last one of us, even here in this auditorium, who knows Jesus is our personal Savior, we can now enter the presence of God anytime we want. Think about that. Oh, and by the way, in the Old Testament, only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies and only once a year only on the Day of Atonement. No other time. He couldn't just waltz in any time he wanted to. He'd have been dead. Only the way and when and where God prescribed because it was a reminder, I'm a holy God. You can't just approach me anytime, anywhere. You need to remember that and be reminded of that and come my way. But after Christ, after the veil was torn in two, after, after Christ was sacrificed on the cross, Jesus Christ opened the way not just for all of us as Christians to be able to come into the very presence of God, but unlike in the Old Testament when only the high priest could come once a year, you and I can come into the presence of God anytime, anywhere we want to. I mean, think about be. Think about the privilege that we have 
that they did not have in the Old Testament time. And then the other thing that's alluded to and implied here is that those animal sacrifices could truly never take away sin like Jesus' sacrifice could. It could not give the people who were offering the sacrifices the inner transformation or transformation from the inside out that only the blood of Jesus could give. It could not give them power over sin. It was simply a reminder every year that they had a sin issue and it had to be dealt with and it had to be dealt with God's way. Where now through Jesus Christ and his blood and his sacrifice, you and I now have a greater power that lives within us than even the power of sin so that we don't have to live in sin any longer. The power of sin has been conquered through the blood of Jesus Christ and we can say no to sin and yes to God. All of that because of Jesus. So now think back to the beginning of this message when I talked about the holiness of God. And now come with me to Hebrews chapter 10 and look at verse 10. If this verse doesn't just like cause your jaw to drop, I don't know of a verse in the Bible that would. <laughs> God's word says, by his will, God's will, we have been made, what? Holy. Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Woo. Why does God make his people holy? So that Unlike in Leviticus and in the Old Testament times, you and I can now live in his presence continually. We don't ever have to be out of it. In fact, God even went so far as to place his presence inside of us so that now we are called the temple of the living God. And we're never separated from God because God goes with us everywhere we go because we've been made holy through the offering of Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, became sin for us so that you and I as Christians could be made the righteousness of God in him. That's our standing, folks. We need to be reminded of that. We stand in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's why we can have communion and intimacy and prayer and, and come into his presence anytime we want, unlike they could in the Old Testament, and not think we're going to die. Why? Because we've been made holy through the offering of Jesus Christ. Verse 14, for by one offering... He, God, has perfected for all time those who are made holy. See, once you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you don't need to be made holy again. You were made holy for all time. Now, that doesn't mean we don't confess our sins and have our fellowship with God restored, but what it does mean is once you enter into a relationship with God, you are eternally in that relationship because you have been made holy for all time through the blood and offering 
of Jesus Christ. That's what the Day of Atonement speaks about. It speaks about the privilege that you and I have to worship a God who forgives sin. A God not only who forgives sin, but who totally cancels it who totally removes it from our life, who breaks the power of it, who says, I'm going to come into your life and I'm not just going to forgive it and I'm not just going to not remember it. I'm not going to be like the devil and throw it up in your face anymore. Now, I've forgotten it. I'm going to break its power so that you can live with me in continual fellowship. What a God. So based on all this, notice the context then. Because even in Hebrews 9 and 10, what do you have? You have a recounting of the Day of Atonement from the Old Testament, but also now contrasted with what we as Christians today on this side of the cross enjoy because of Christ. And because of all this, go up with me then to verse 19 of chapter 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, what's the therefore, therefore? Going back to what we've just talked about, because we've been made holy, he says, since we have confidence now, unlike they did in the Old Testament, to enter into the sanctuary, meaning the very presence of God by the blood of Jesus, by this fresh and living way that he inaugurated for us through the curtain, that is, through his own flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, first of all, he says in verse 22, let us draw near to God. The first exhortation is, because we've been made holy, let's live in the presence of God at all times. Why would we ever want to live outside the presence of God? When we even are reminded in the Old Testament, they couldn't live in the presence of God. God could dwell amongst them. They could get near to God, but they couldn't live in the intimacy that you and I do today. But now that Christ has come, All that's been taken care of. God now lives inside of us, and now God has given us the ability through making us holy through the sacrifice of Christ to literally live in the very presence of God at all times and be as close to him as we possibly want to be. So let's do it. And that's what worship is. At its very foundation, it's laying hold of God. It's saying, God, I want you more than anything else. I want to be in your presence. I want to enjoy your presence. I want to enjoy your person. There's no one or nothing I want to be with that's that's better or greater than you, God. That's worship. That's acknowledging his worth and values greater than anything else. Let's draw near. By the way, these are what I call the lettuce passages of the Bible not the little green leafy vegetable. But what it does remind us of again is God doesn't want us to do this separately. He wants us to do this jointly. Let us. Then notice the second one, verse 23. Let us hold unwaveringly to the hope that we confess for the one who made the promise is trustworthy. Not only should we take being made holy to live in his presence, but to persevere in hope. To persevere in hope and cling to the hope because God's promises are reliable, they're dependable. He says, 
God's trustworthy. All these promises, you can trust him. You can bank on it. You can base your entire life on it. So let's persevere and endure in this world, not only living in God's presence, but persevering in hope. Living every day with confident expectation that everything God has said he's going to do, he's going to do. And so we can wake up every day in hope. We can live through the day in hope. We can rest our heads on our pillow at night in hope. We never have to also be separated from the hope that God is because God himself is hope. Now, this also reminds us, verse 23, that God is saying to all of us, you realize Though you can live in my presence and though you're my people, you're living in a sense in enemy territory, and it's not going to be easy living in this world. That's why you need hope. If, if you had no challenges or trials or tribulation or suffering or pain or anything else, then you would never need hope. The reason we need hope is because of the world we live in and the spiritual enemy that is against us at all times. And therefore, God says, I'll give you something to counteract all that. You can draw near to me anytime you want to. You can call upon me anytime you want to, and you can have this hope that you literally have 24-7 in your life every day because every promise that I've ever made is yes and amen. Persevere in hope. But then notice verse 24. Let us take thought of how to spur one another on to love and good works, not abandoning our own meetings as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and even more so because you see the day drawing near. Not only living in his presence, verse 22, and living in perseverance, verse 23, but living in partnership with our fellow Christians, verse 24 and 25. God set it up this way. Think of, think of this, pyramid or triangle, God at the top. The closer we as Christians get to God, the closer we also what? Get to each other. That's the way God designed it. God did not design us as his people to live separately from each other, but to live engaged with each other. How can I spur other Christians on if I'm never around my brothers and sisters very much? How can I be encouraged by other Christians if I'm not placing myself in their presence on a continual basis? I can't do it. How can I even learn how to spur others on if I don't get to know them well enough to know what would spur them on? What motivates them? What lights their fire? What likes and dislikes? What strengths and weaknesses? How do I know all that unless I'm building relationships with my brothers and sisters in Christ and I'm living close to them as I grow closer to God? And remember, these exhortations are all based on the fact that God made us holy and so if I'm really taking seriously the privileges I have as a New Testament Christian, then it's not going to be any problem for me to want to do this. This is going to be the desire of my heart, to draw near to him, to hold to my hope, and to live in partnership with my fellow believers. Now, let me say this before we move on. One of the things that has happened during this whole COVID-19 thing and some of you have probably heard these statistics as well. Barna just did it just a few weeks ago, and I've shared it with some of our leadership here at the church. 
And this was only done to those who were attending a local church before the pandemic, okay? So keep that in mind. Wasn't talking to those that weren't in a, a church or weren't attending a church faithfully before the pandemic. 35% approximately of those that were attending a church before the pandemic are still attending that same church now, okay, 35%. But equally, and this is very sad and sobering, 35% of those that were attending a local church pre-pandemic now are not attending anywhere. They're not going to church. And they're not even doing the live stream. They've just been disconnected from their brothers and sisters in Christ. Another approximately 15% are going to new churches. We know that because we picked up some new people during this. Because one reason or another, like, nah, it's time to make a break and look for something new. And the other 15% approximately are still connected somewhat to their church before the pandemic, but they're only, at this point, still doing live stream. That's pretty much the breakdown. And we know, those of us that keep up with these things, that church attendance already was on a very steep decline before the pandemic. Less and less people feel like they need, even as Christians, to be engaged with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I just look at people like that when they tell me that they don't really need that, and I go, how do you jive that with Hebrews 10, 24, and 25? I used to get the response of, I don't need to go to church. And then I take them to this passage, and I said, okay, let's say that that's a good argument, though I don't think it is. Do you realize Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 says, you and I don't go to church just for us. We go to be an encouragement and a support to our fellow Christians. That's why God wants us to be engaged with each other, looking at it just like, I don't need to go to church. That's a pretty selfish perspective. And we as Christians aren't supposed to be selfish. We're supposed to be selfless. <laughs> We're supposed to live our lives not just for ourselves and what's good for us, but what's for good for others. And God says to his people, based upon the fact that I, through the offering of my son, Jesus Christ, has made you holy, you need to draw near to me every day. You need to live in hope every day and persevere in that hope. And you need to live in partnership with your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why I made you holy, so that you could do all that. You see, all going back to reminding us about what the Day of Atonement was all about, where God's holiness was set in sharp relief to the sinfulness of mankind. Listen, this is really important. There may be at least one person here today, and maybe more, you are here today by divine appointment, whether you realize it or not. You didn't come here today by accident. God brought you here. And maybe the reason why you're here today is we've been talking about sin and guilt and all that. You may be still having that weigh on you. And the reason is because you've never truly accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and allowed what he did on the cross 
to literally take all of that guilt and all of that shame and all of that sin and literally take it off of you once and for all. And for you to hear God say, my child, you are totally and forever forgiven. I want to encourage you today. Don't leave this property today without making sure that you have been forgiven. Because when you're forgiven, well, when you know that you can't come God or you can't come your own way to God, but if you come God's way, your sin is forever taken care of and you never have to worry about it. You don't have to carry all that burden around anymore. You come to Jesus Christ and he completely removes it from your life. There's nothing like that. I want to encourage you, trust Christ today. Today is the day of your salvation. The Holy Spirit is moving. God is here. God wants you. God's people will rejoice with you if you say yes to Jesus. You don't need to worry about that. Second, you may be a Christian here today. You know you have Christ in your heart. You know if you were to die, you're going to go to heaven when you die. But there is something... <laughs> that still sort of hangs on you. So some kind of guilt for something that you did or were a part of in your past, some sin, something that still sort of hangs over your life like a cloud. I want you to know today, based upon what we said, that can all be gone too. Now, in our modern world today, even amongst Christians, sometimes we use the phrase, well, I just need to get to a place where I learn or get to a place where I forgive myself. I'm just going to tell you, that's not biblical. What we need to get to is to have the faith to receive God's forgiveness that he's offering to us. That's biblical. And sometimes that's a struggle because it's faith. It's like, I know, God, that, that you said you would forgive me, but I just don't have the faith to truly accept the fact that you've forgiven me for that. Then I want you today, if that's where you're at today, say, God, finally, once and for all, give me the faith to trust what you said. You said that if I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, every sin that I ever did, every sin that I will do before I come to see you is totally and completely forgiven under the blood of Jesus Christ. I receive your total and complete forgiveness today once and for all, and I'm not going to let that thing or whatever that is hang over my life anymore. One more. Maybe you're here today. And after the worship that we've had today, and after our time in the Word today, you, like me, are reminded, wow, wow, God, what you did for me. <laughs> when Jesus Christ died on that cross, I, I, I was just reminded that unlike in the Old Testament, I don't need to be a high priest to come into your presence. I'm just Jeff. And I can come in anytime I want. Oh, and, and I don't have to just wait once a year to knock on the door and see if it's okay. No, I, I can come any day of the week. I can come at night. I can come in the morning. I can come during. It doesn't matter because 
I've been made holy through the offering of Jesus Christ once and for all. And God, I don't have to repeat sacrifices and keep bringing you things in order to somehow, you know, measure up. All I had to do was by faith accept Jesus Christ, and that completely took care of everything that I will ever need once and for all time. And maybe that's where you are, like me. And so this would be a great Sunday to just say, as a Christian, I'm going to recommit my life to Jesus Christ and to being a faithful follower of him. How could I do any less for what he has done for me? Let's stand and pray. God, I ask today that you would work in the hearts of your people today. And that God, maybe that if there is a heart here today that has never trusted in Christ, that today would be the day of salvation for them, where the sin of their entire life is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And God, if there are some here even today, even as Christians, your children, who still struggle to accept your forgiveness for something that they did or were a part of in the past, God, I pray today that they would finally trust you because you're trustworthy and that they would finally believe that that's been taken care of. That's gone. You, you don't even remember it. So they need to get past it, God. God, I pray for them too. And for the rest of us, oh God, I just pray that we would be overwhelmed at how much you loved us how much you continue to love us every day. And that you made a way, God, for us to live in the presence of a holy God because you made us holy through Jesus. Thank you, God. We offer you our life. We offer you everything that we have, everything that we are, God. We offer it to you in praise and worship right now. These things we ask in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.